Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, I think we're live. If we are, good morning. Um, if this is your first time joining us uh, via YouTube, we're glad that you made it. If you know people that are having troubles getting on or can't, let us know so that we can help them. Um, I don't know how to help them, but Roger would love to help them. Uh, and just for starters, I got to know how many of you guys are in your PJs right now drinking your coffee? I don't think it's really fair, but we'll roll with it. Um, I hope everyone's well in spite of all that's happening. Uh, I realize that at this point, some people are really starting to take a hit financially. Uh, I spoke with a friend Thursday, make sure I'm, I'm on down here as well, so the podcast is working, but I spoke to a friend Thursday at Walmart. Her name is Annie. She is the owner of Ocean Sky, which is the Chinese restaurant in Chehalis, just south of the Mint Factory. And of course, their restaurant can only go takeout but they're not making nearly enough money to stay afloat. And, uh, and that, that's starting to, to bug people. It's bugging me. Uh, also, I went to, to get takeout from her Friday, and they, they weren't even open. So I don't know what that means. Time will tell. Uh, but anyway, please keep these people in mind, even in your budget, knowing that people's lives are connected to these, their sales. And when you spend money at those places, don't, don't forget to drop a word of encouragement, uh, a gospel track, and if you're able, give a little bit more tip. Um, I, as I mentioned during our Thursday devotional, uh, opportunities uh, abound, I think, to serve, especially in the next week and months. Uh, so look for opportunities, ask a ton of questions, and just be sure to get involved. Uh, and until this uh, thing blows over, uh, I would like personally, how to know I can, how I can serve you guys better, your prayer requests and needs and things like that. Uh, so don't be afraid to contact me. Um, I wanted to thank the, the Helping Hands ladies for connecting uh, and checking in on all of our senior community uh, that's in our church. They've been visiting them outdoors and uh, making sure that all their needs are met. Also, uh, thanks to everyone that has offered themselves to all of the the variety of things that are, are being done. A service project was actually done this Saturday. Uh, I wanted to thank Trina for communicating with so many people and making a database uh, of people that uh, may uh, need further ministry. Also to Roger and Jason Heyman for putting all this video and sound equipment together. Uh, it's certainly not my preferred method of connecting with you. Uh, with my church family. I can't see your faces, uh, which I'm beginning to miss greatly, uh, even Gabe's. Um, anyway, uh, as always, keep praying. As you know, uh, Italy is suffering greatly, and they need our prayers. Yesterday, nearly 800 people died from the virus, and um, so be praying. Uh, praying for the, the churches and missionaries there to be a voice of hope. Also, be praying for the underground churches in Iran and China as they serve with discretion. And uh, keep praying for all uh, things local, including our government and uh, medical professionals, uh, and for those that are suffering because of the virus. Uh, I've been speaking with our missionaries, and everyone is doing pretty well. They're basically uh, uh, under the same restrictions that we are, uh, and they're just trying to figure out uh, what the new normal is for ministry. Uh, the main uh, thing for everyone uh, is just staying connected as much as possible. And so just as a reminder, the virus is not transmittable by telephone. So please be calling people, checking on one another, encouraging each other. And uh, 
And I want to encourage people just to get out and uh, enjoy their family, enjoy, well, the weather as you can. Um, yeah, in fact, uh, Friday, uh, my family and I, we went on a hike, and I've never seen so many people on the trail before, but it was beautiful, the trail was dry, and uh, there was a variety of wildflowers that were blooming. In fact, one of my favorite was blooming. I, can, I don't even know if I can show you a picture here. That show up? You see that? Maybe not, but whatever. Get out and see them for yourself. Um, today might be the last day before the rain hits, so I think you should get outside and, and enjoy yourself. Okay, well, just as a, a final note, uh, as you might have heard or you might have seen on Thursday night, we've, we've decided to set aside the Bible survey. And what I'm doing is I'm going to teach devotionally through Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 21. It'll be one uh, verse a week. And uh, all the spiritual people actually are going to memorize the whole section. And if you memorize one verse a week, it'll be easy. So please join us. Uh, There's much in there that's applicable to uh, all that's going on, but uh, really all that's going on all the time. So invite you to join us. Now for today, I was going to explore a text that I thought would be more applicable to our current situation. But Hebrews 12 is about as applicable as any. And I really don't want to give too much attention to really what's going on. Uh, Everywhere you turn is bad news. And uh, too much bad news is just not going to be good. So I'd rather uh, on Sunday mornings um, address things in a positive and proactive way and keep a biblical perspective of hope and thanksgiving. That's part of the reason we were so thankful to um, do some worship uh, with you this morning. And, uh, and you know, if Paul worshiped while shackled in stocks after being beaten with metal rods, uh, and if Daniel kept praying at the threat of death, we should certainly uh, be able to worship in all of our uncertainty. And besides, what else would we do? You know, we belong to the Lord God, and he holds uh, all life in his hands. So we have much to praise for, much to be thankful for. So anyway, you know the drill. Please turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. I'll be reading verse 3 through 8. And as you do that, I just wanted to share a thought that I've been having. Uh, I was thinking the other day about the authority of God's word. In fact, the authority of God's word has really been occupying my mind of late. Uh, Not sure why. But anyway, I was considering the reality of the Bible being the very word of God. Paul calls it... uh, the the very breath of God in 2 Timothy 3.16. He says, for all scriptures God breathed, that's theopneusto, it means breathed out by God, and um, from which we can conclude that when the Bible speaks, God is speaking. Of course, he has used a multitude of human instruments throughout history uh, through which he has spoken, but he is nonetheless the one speaking and communicating to us. And So no amount of authority was diminished by those who were moved by the Holy Spirit uh, to communicate his word to us, which means that no authority exceeds what is written in our Bibles. And therefore, the mindset that we should have is this. When you read the word, know that your king is speaking. He's speaking to us. Nothing could be closer to the truth. And um, so I wanted to leave that with you. So Hebrews chapter 12 verse 3 through 8. The author says, For consider Jesus, 
who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for your word as always. Lord, it's good. And it brings us back to our, a proper perspective, Lord, where we look in your face, we hear your voice, and uh, we get redirected by your wisdom. And Lord, certainly uh, currently in this world, uh, we may not understand your wisdom, but we trust it. Uh, knowing that you're good, knowing that you're not just sovereign, but you're loving. And uh, so we just want to yield ourselves to you again. And Lord, that you would this morning um, just minister to us by your word. And Lord, we don't want to forget about our missionaries who are really trying to do the same thing that we're doing, trying to figure out how to minister to the fellowship and to the world uh, in this current situation. And so we pray that you would grant us uh, uh, opportunity, that you grant us wisdom of how to approach that. And, uh, and Lord, we pray for uh, our, our local community, our government, Lord, that, uh, that they really would be endowed with wisdom from on high, and uh, they would do what's best for society, for people. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you would, you would shower your mercy uh, upon people. So Lord, thank you for this morning opportunity that we have to be together in this way. It's what we have and we want to be thankful for it, Lord. So thank you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so from the text uh, for the last few weeks, um, maybe the last few months, we've said a number of times that the scope and the purpose of Hebrews chapter 12 is the perfecting of the believer, that we would individually and collectively be conformed to the image of Christ by having his character and his virtues reproduced in our lives. But the perfecting of the believer is typically an unpleasant thing, but throughout history it's been proven to be the most effective thing for perfecting the saints. And the captain of our salvation was no exception. Uh, we saw this in the life of Joseph and in Job. We saw it in David and in Daniel. And, and most of all, in the life of Jesus. And we've pointed out that suffering is necessary for us, just as it was for Jesus. As the author said in Hebrews 2.10, uh, suffering is also comforting and assuring, as well as fruitful. Now, today from our text, uh, I would like to talk about the nature of suffering, uh, that, that it's, it, it, it brings comfort. In verse 5, the author is speaking to his audience, who we know is suffering persecution, and says that in their trial, they've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to them as sons. And the word exhortation can be translated as encouragement, but it's also translated as consolation and comfort. 
These Hebrew Christians had forgotten the exhortation, a principle of faith that would have comforted them in the midst of their suffering. And then the author quotes Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, which is a passage written by a father who is encouraging his son in regard to the Lord's chastening. Now remember, chastening means training. It means discipline. It's education. It doesn't mean suffering, but God uses suffering to educate and discipline us in order to fashion us into the likeness of Jesus. And the author was saying to his audience, as this father was saying to his son, that the Lord's chastening, it really is a regular part of life, and it's intended to comfort and to assure us. It's normal. So you must not forget the exhortation. Now, in all the various forms of chastening, uh, it never comes in the form of punishment. And I think that we should be careful to distinguish between discipline and punishment, just as the scriptures do. Uh, Discipline, which is certainly not pleasant, but is often painful, is done for the sake of the one disciplined. Discipline is motivated by love. It's applied to curve bad behavior in order to produce godly behavior. Discipline in the form of suffering is about character building. Punishment, on the other hand, has no real concern for the one being punished. Its concern is more for the sake of society. The goal of punishment is to deter or even just get rid of evil altogether. It has no intention of bringing the person to repentance, uh, no goal for life change. Punishment is really what we do to hardened criminals. We just want them out of the way. Discipline those applied to the ones that we love most for their own benefit. But that's getting into the fruit of discipline, which we'll get to later. We're looking at the comfort and assurance of discipline. So first, why is discipline comforting? Because it's, it demonstrates that we are God's children, verse 5 and 7. Discipline demonstrates God's love for us, verse 6. And it proves that God has received us, verse 6. Interesting though, the Hebrew translation of Proverbs 3.12 says that God's discipline proves that he delights in us. He delights in us. And then moving on with our text, those who are not chastened by the Lord, verse 8, do not belong to him, and there can be no comfort in that. Okay. Do I need to move closer? Talk louder. I don't talk louder very well. Okay, I'll try. I'll try. Roger's giving me directions here. Now, as far as chastening for us goes, the Lord's chastening uh, comes in all shapes and sizes for multiple reasons. It can come because of unrepentant sin which is self-inflicted. It can come because of our our sanctification is wanting, it's lacking, and it always is. It can come to help us identify with others, which we're constantly needing. But whatever the reason, the chastening that comes by way of affliction is ultimately to comfort us. Let's look at some examples of chastening that all resulted in comfort. So the first one I'd like to look at is chastening that's brought on by sin. Because of sin, we see the grace of the Lord's chastening continue for nearly a year in the life of King David. Yeah, I I did say grace in the same context as chastening. 
Chastening comes to us by the grace of God. Chastening has everything to do with God favoring us as his kids. And so from the time that David committed adultery and killed Uriah until the day he repented, it appears to be about a year, but it was a very difficult year for David because the Lord was making him miserable. Remember, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. David, he describes for us what the the chastening of the Lord was like during that year in Psalm 51. David says that he felt dirty because of his transgression, his iniquity, and his sins, verse 1 through 5. David says that he felt defiled within himself, verse 6 through 7 and verse 10. He, he, He wasn't able to experience joy or gladness because of his guilt, verse 8. And he experienced physiological pain because of his guilt, verse 8 through 10. So his guilt robbed him of joy and caused him pain and fatigue. Also, sin made him feel like an outcast, verse 11. He couldn't experience the joy of his salvation, verse 12. It wasn't a matter of losing his salvation, but being robbed of the joy that comes from our salvation. And finally, during that whole year, David experienced so much guilt that he couldn't worship and serve the Lord, verse 13 through 19. So a year of misery because of unrepentant sin. It wasn't punishment. It was discipline. God so loved David that he wouldn't allow him to continue as if nothing happened. And so during that time, David became subject to the chastening of the Lord in order to bring him to a place of brokenness because of sin that would ultimately bring him into fellowship with the Lord. So understand, it was because David belonged to the Lord that he endured so much suffering. It was because of God's love that David was afflicted. David had gone astray, and God was using those things to bring him back. And therefore, it was, it was by the Lord's suffering that he ultimately was comforted. The psalmist even said, "'It is good for me that I have been afflicted,' that I may learn your statutes, Psalm 119.71. And Paul said, but when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world, 1 Corinthians 11.32. So God's children receive assurance even in their sin by means of suffering. That's uncomfortably comforting. Affliction brought on by sin demonstrates that our Father loves us, that we belong to Him, and that He wants us back in fellowship so that we can enjoy Him without forgetting that He will not relent until we repent. He's he's zealous for our holiness. And then also within this, there's a warning as well. If you think you're a child of God, but you're constantly getting away with what is immoral without any real affliction, you've deceived yourself. If you can live in sin and just worship with the rest of the body as if you haven't sinned, if you can celebrate communion without any moral conflict within yourself, if you can carry on and on without any conviction to repent, you know, it just needs to be said, you're not a child of God. At the present time, you are not the object of God's fatherly love, but the object of his displeasure, and there can be no comfort in that. 
If you fail to repent and trust in Christ for salvation, you will be lost. So don't deceive yourself. Verse 8 says, If you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. You're not being sanctified through suffering because you're not his child. And so whatever discomfort you may feel in this world is just a normal consequence of sin and it's not the loving hand of God upon you because the discipline of God belongs only to the children of God. Therefore, if you have trouble getting away with sin, if guilt haunts you as a result of your sin, if it pains you to worship, it's a good indication that you belong to him. And it's a good reminder to repent before things get worse. Uh, We don't want to mistake in God for a weak-willed parent. Relenting just is not in his nature. He will apply his loving hand until we return to him. So if you suffer affliction because of your sin, be encouraged, be comforted. God is chastening you as a son or daughter. Also, another reason for suffering, um, on other occasions when there is no obvious sin, you can't put your finger on it, you're not struggling in guilt, but nonetheless we're enduring affliction, we have a a tendency to ask, now what have I done? Now what have I done? At times like that, We have to understand that it's not a matter of what we've done, but what God wants us to become. The curse of sin has shaped us contrary to the character of Jesus from the time of conception. We're broken and we're out of sync with Jesus' nature and his character. And so God is, as we've talked about many times already, he's appointed suffering for us in order to conform us to Christ. So when illness strikes or a loved one passes, a job is lost, a house burns to the ground, and the stock market tanks because of a pandemic. It's not because of what you've done. It's about what God wants you to become. You know, when God had Joseph sold into slavery, falsely accused and forgotten in prison, it, was, it wasn't because of anything that Joseph did. It was all because of what God wanted to do with Joseph. You know, when Jerusalem was raped and pillaged, and it was burned and taken into captivity, it wasn't because of anything Daniel did. It was all about what God was going to do with Daniel. So where no sin is apparent, but suffering is present, God is just performing his purpose in us. He's not going to allow our affliction to go to waste. He's he's going to use it for his glory and for our good. The truth is, every believer wants to be like Jesus. We're just not hip on how it's accomplished. Because God's method to that end happens in the school of suffering, just as it did for Jesus, who is the son of the Father's love. He always chastens those he loves. So then because of suffering, uh, because it's God's method, suffering will always draw the child of God closer to him. Suffering will always draw the child of God closer to him. It doesn't mean we won't wrestle with it or struggle with it or even get upset with God because of it, but eventually being fashioned into the likeness of Jesus by it, it will always endear us to the Father as it did for Jesus. It will end in comfort, assurance, and fellowship just as a child finds comfort in the arms of a loving Father who has disciplined them. Now there is a warning in this also. If you chafe under suffering and it just 
pushes you further and further away from the Lord and never endears you to him, it's a good indication that you are none of his. If time continues to pass and suffering isn't making you more like Jesus as it does for true believers, it's because you don't know him. You're just suffering the curse of sin without his loving hand upon you. You see, if God starts a good work in someone through salvation, he will faithfully bring it to completion. But that person must be saved for that process to begin. You see, if someone can be a child of God and not be conformed to the image of Christ, which occurs through suffering, it would suggest that God is unfaithful, that the problem is with him. But there's no place for that in Christian theology. Verse 8 says, All referring to the children of God, have become partakers of chastening. So it's only the believer who is comforted by suffering and is assured and assures us of our identity. Suffering is good. But if you do not belong to him, your suffering will only lead to a hopeless end. So more than ever, today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to secure hope in Christ Now, let me close by speaking to the family. Obviously, as we know, the whole world is suffering globally, just as our little world is locally. Not just the effects of the virus, but from a multitude of other things. And we, as the children of God, need to realize that it really has nothing to do with what we've done, but it has everything to do with what God wants us to become Also, it's not about what we did, but what God wants to do with us. That's what this is about. God desires to work in us and through us, especially in times like this. So give your attention to him and let him do his perfect work in you and through you. As he does that, uh, you'll be assured of your identity as sons and daughters, and you'll be comforted by his love. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Now, I would like to read this song of doxology to you, which was offered to God after a period of great suffering. And it comes out of Psalm 66. Please listen carefully. To the chief musician, a song, a psalm. Make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. Sing out the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. Come and see the works of God. He is awesome in his doing toward the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the river on foot. There we will rejoice in him. He rules by his power forever. His eyes observe the nations. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. Oh, bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of his praise to be heard. Who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. For you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. But you brought us out to rich fulfillment. 
I will go into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay you my vows, which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer you burnt sacrifices of fat animals with the sweet aroma of rams. I, I will offer bulls with goats. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear, but certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Psalm 66. Now before we end, we'd like to close with some worship. So I'm going to let Roger and Hillary come back and do not fret. I'll shut my microphone off, okay? (laughs) 